You're listening to Church on the Park Inspiration Podcast. Brought to you by Holy Fire. And broadcasting from the heart of Brisbane City, Australia. Speaking today is Pastor Glenn Gerhauser. This morning, the message is entitled, The Road from Conspiracy to Intimacy. The Road from Conspiracy to Intimacy. And this is number four in Metamorphosis, The Way of Transformation. So this is our fourth message on the subject of metamorphosis. I'm going to be talking in this message about how God personally transformed my own Christian walk. So... That is part of this message. If we can all stand, we're going to stand for the reading of the word. We're reading from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. And I'm reading from the NASB version. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear and he shall be your dread or your awe. You should be in awe of him. Let's put our hands on our hearts and pray. Pray nice and loud with me. Dear Jesus, speak to my heart. Transform my life in your precious name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to share that your light would shine and chase away all darkness and our lives would be transformed by you and that we would get your perspective, your perspective on all these conspiracies that are out there and what you are calling us to be as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, my goal is to bring you a biblical perspective on how we should regard conspiracies. And the theme this morning is the Father is leading us from mere knowledge about things to knowledge of Him. He's leading us from mere knowledge about things to knowledge of Him. And we saw in our opening text that the word of the Lord came mightily on Isaiah. And the Lord warned him that he should not be walking in the way of this people. And he's talking about God's people. God's people had gone astray in their thinking and their talking and what they were doing. 
And you can see even all the way back then, this is the 8th century BC, that they were getting consumed with conspiracies. It is a conspiracy. And he's saying that you are not to say it is a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy. And you are not to fear what they fear or to be in awe of it or be in dread of it, it says here. I think a, I think a better translation would be awe. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, or he should be the one you reverence, and he shall be the one you stand in awe of. So let me introduce to you this portion of Scripture. This is taken from a whole section from Isaiah chapter 7 to chapter 9. If you want to understand the context of this, Read from, on your own time, not right now, otherwise you'll miss the message. <laughs> Read from Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 9. But I'll give you a little summary here. The time was 8th century B.C. And both the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were shaking. Conspiracies abounded. Rumors spread that the king of Israel, Pekah, and the king of Aram, Rezin were plotting to overthrow Ahaz in Jerusalem. Ahaz was trembling, and Jerusalem couldn't stop talking about what they feared, upheaval and destruction. Then the word of the Lord came strongly to Isaiah. It was a word that called the Jews not to fear what everyone was fearing. It was a call to stay calm. Put your faith in Yahweh and stand in awe of him alone. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9 here, and you'll see this is in the same uh, context. And we'll, actually, we'll start in verse 8. And then I'll explain this some more, and we'll go forward. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And then it goes on to say, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Ramalia. If you will not believe, you surely shall not last. In the Hebrew, it sounds really, uh, it's a bit of wordplay on this, um, this word aman. Aman was where we get amen from. And it has to do with if we are not... Uh, Trusting in God, we will not be able to, Amon, we're not going to be able to stand. If we're not having firm faith in God, we will not be able to stand. So what was happening during this time is, for those who know the history of Israel, there was a split in the kingdom. You had the northern kingdom and you had the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is called Israel and the southern kingdom is called Judah. And so there was tensions in God's people, and the northern kingdom wanted to come and uh, take over Jerusalem, wanted to uh, scare everybody into their will and their purposes and their politics. And then there was Aram, which is modern-day Syria, and they were joining in an alliance with uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, to come and sweep down on Judah and to overturn it. And, of course, Ahaz was, very, Ahaz was the king 
of Judah and his area, his area of dominion was Jerusalem. He was scared. He was nervous. And the word of the Lord is coming to him in the midst of all of this to put his trust in God and to fear God alone and not to fear these two kings that were coming against him and plotting against him. And there was also another kingdom that was arising during that time or soon to arise was Assyria. And Assyria was going to cause much damage and it was going to pretty much sweep through all of the northern and southern kingdoms. My first point is this. The fear of the Lord displaces all other fears. The fear of the Lord displaces all other fears. And this comes from Isaiah 8, 11 through 13, as the prophet is speaking into this situation of fear and upheaval and potential revolution. In Hebrew, the word for conspiracy is kesher, kesher. And it comes from the root kashar, meaning to bind, to not, to tie, be in league with, or conspire. So the idea of a conspiracy from Hebrew, coming from this root kashar, is a binding, a nodding, a tying, a being in league with, or conspiring. And Isaiah 8.12, which we began with, refers to a treasonous conspiracy. And, of course, treason is something we naturally fear. If there's treason, we fear that. And so the people were fearful because of all of this talk and plotting against Jerusalem, against Ahaz, against Israel. There was lots of rumors going on back then. Our word conspiracy is made up of two components. Con, which means with, and spire, meaning breath. So our idea in English is very similar to Hebrew, and that is a conspiracy is we're, we're with one another, we're, we're breathing something in together, or we're breathing some plan up together. So it's a breathing together. And in Hebrew, it has to do like a, with a binding and tying. So very similar type of words. There were numerous conspiracies in Scripture. People plotted against the prophets, Jeremiah and Amos. Others conspired to overthrow kings, kings like Ahaz and David. We have Absalom who's trying to overthrow David. But there was one conspiracy that outweighed them all. The greatest conspiracy in history was the plot to crucify Jesus. And we read about it in Matthew 12, 14. We see, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. And this here is somewhere in the, it seems, the middle of Jesus' ministry. After Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he did something to upset their uh, religious thoughts and ideas. 
But for Jesus and for, uh, and for God, the Sabbath is all about healing. The whole reason we come into rest, the whole reason we come into Sabbath is to be healed and restored. And so that's the purpose of the Sabbath. But they did not understand that they were upset that he was healing on the Sabbath. And this made the Pharisees want to conspire against him. And so Jesus, knowing their thoughts, knowing their thinking, he always knew what was going on, but he did not allow their conspiracy and their plotting against him to affect him and affect his ministry and to affect what the Father has put on his heart. And this is critical for us that we follow in the same footsteps, footsteps of Jesus and not be motivated by the fear of everything that is being spoken out there. Some of it being true, some of it not being true. And maybe we'll touch on that as we go on. In Mark 3.6, it says, The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Again, the same thing repeated in Mark. Christ had no need to fear the conspiracy because God was with him. Emmanuel. And you know where the term Emmanuel comes from first? It's this whole section of Isaiah chapter 7 to Isaiah chapter 9. The whole section where Isaiah, the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and the Lord says to him, don't call everything a conspiracy that they call conspiracy. Emmanuel. That's how it would be said in Hebrew. Emmanuel. It's two words. Imanu. Imanu is uh, im is with. Uh, nu is us. And then El is God at the end. So Imanuel. Emmanuel. Where we get Emmanuel from, and Emmanuel is God with us. Now Christ knew that God was with him. And that's and because God was with him. He did not fear. Jesus had no need for Peter's sword that cut off the high priest's servant's ear. He didn't need the weapons of this world to protect them. Remember, they were coming into the, the Garden of Gethsemane, and Peter took the sword and cut off the servant's ear. And Jesus said, put away the sword. And Jesus healed the servant's ear, the high priest's servant's ear. And he made it clear that his kingdom was not of this world. Jesus knew about the plots that were coming against him, but he still prayed at the same place, the place he normally took the disciples in Gethsemane. In other words, he didn't allow this conspiracy to even change his spiritual routine or devotion or the place that he normally taught the disciples. He knew what was coming against him, but he just did the Father's will, even though it was costly and he sweat blood. But he didn't allow anything to get him off course because he knew that his kingdom was not of this world. And this is what we have to remember during our, this time that God's kingdom is not of this world. And we're a part of that kingdom. 
And we don't need swords and all of our human efforts and endeavors in the flesh to save us. We have God with us. Jesus saw that his father was sovereign and that the enemy's animosity only led to his enemy's demise. The enemy's animosity against him only led to his enemy's own demise because the cross where they plotted to crucify him ended up being their downfall. It broke the power of sin and Satan and seduction. It broke the power of evil on the cross. He pulled down principalities and powers on that cross. The same way Christ responded to the conspiracy to kill him is the same way we should respond to the multitude of conspiracies that are out there. We don't need to worry because God is with us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God is with us. You can read about that in Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah 8, 8, and Isaiah 10. We don't need to worry because God is with us. And you probably have heard this illustration before, but someone studying counterfeit money focuses their attention on the real thing. Because there could be millions of different counterfeits. You could study, you could be, you could spend time studying millions of different counterfeits, just like there's millions of different conspiracies out there and theories of conspiracies. And so there's millions of these different conspiracy theories and there's actual conspiracies going on we may not know about. Usually it's, usually what is the truth is something that nobody actually realizes is happening, not what everybody's talking about. It's actually something else. <laughs> but beside that point, you study the real thing. And when you see a deviation from the real thing, then you know what is false. And our attention right now in the body of Christ needs to be on the real thing. And what's the real thing? The real thing is Jesus. The real thing is the gospel, the good news. The real thing is his word. And so as we study that, then we see anything that is deviating from that. We are disciples of Jesus, which means we're learning from him and we're learning to be like him. We fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord displaces all other fears. We fear the Lord, and the fear of the Lord displaces all other fears. Well, early in my Christian walk, I got caught up in conspiracy theories. It was the early 90s, and the Internet was uncommon. My friends and I subscribed to the mailing list of a few different secret societies <laughs> to find out about the advances of the one world government. So we had, you know, subscribed to these mailing lists and like secretly that we were one of them, you know, we're one of them. And we had mail coming in from all over the U.S. 
all about the advancement of the one world government. So if this is new to you, it wasn't new to me. I'm talking about 30 years back. Back then, we thought that George Bush Sr. was probably the Antichrist. <laughs> since he talked about the New World Order. He, he was the one that made that statement famous back then, the New World Order. And it was funny, the, uh, the New South Wales, what, health minister or health officer said that the other day, and it just, that, she said New World Order, and that went around the world. <laughs> that she had said that in her, uh, she said it was a slip of tongue. Anyway, let's move on. We're a part of a, a new world order, and that's Jesus' new world. <laughs> His kingdom. Well, anyway, we were very concerned. And we would eagerly await letters in the mail, the physical mail, from these secret societies. What are they saying? One of them was the Skull and Crossbones Society. And um, I think they did a, a spy movie about that one recently, too as I remember. So one of them was that. Well, we, get, we began to pressure our youth pastor, Stephen Hodgelick. Now, Stephen Hodgelick, I've mentioned Steve before. He played an instrumental part in my life. He's Pastor Dennis's brother. And he's a big man, tattoos on his uh, body because of uh, his life in the, the biking gangs. Uh, they say it different. They don't say bikies in America. Uh, bikey sounds very uh, weak. If you could call a biker a bikey, you might get beat up in America. Anyway, God saved him from his life of sin, and he became our youth pastor. And he was a great youth pastor. He was a, Steve was a, an amazing youth pastor. Anyway... We started to pressure him about the secrets we knew, a few of us. We said, you need to know this stuff. And we started thinking we were better and brighter because we had the secret knowledge about the conspiracies. And I remember trying to corner him. And I remember the exact place we were trying to corner him. And... We were telling him, you need to believe this. You need to know this. You need to know what's happening. And he said this, I don't know about all that stuff, but what I know is I love Jesus. I don't know about all that stuff, but what I know is I love Jesus. And of course, at the time, we dismissed him as a simpleton. Our response was, I love Jesus. <laughs> but these simple words began to grow in me and began to wake me up. You see, I was getting caught in all of the web of conspiracy theories. And my Christian faith was based on information rather than intimacy with Jesus. And this awakening in my Christian life, I was young in my faith. This awakening in my Christian life started me on a new road. My faith shifted from being based on my knowledge to seeking the face of God and being based 
on intimacy with God. Again, it didn't happen overnight, but these things, the Holy Spirit began to work on my heart. Take me down a different path. No one can shake a faith that is founded on a real, dynamic, and living relationship with the Father and His Son, Jesus. And a shift happened within me from fearing the world to fearing God. And then scripture, rather than speculation, became my everyday foundation. And I believe I went through all of this in the early 90s to let you know in the 20s, about 30 years later, <laughs> that there's a better way than getting caught up in conspiracies. There's a better way. And it's the way of intimacy. So it brings me to our second point. Intimacy is spelled T-I-M-E. Intimacy is spelled T-I-M-E, time. So I want to talk about a few simple steps to develop intimacy that the Lord took me through and how it transformed my life. And these are things that I've talked about before, so it's not the first time you've heard of it before, but it's to remind us and to get us back on track if we are off track in any way. And the first thing is take time to develop intimacy with Jesus. Take time. And like I've said before, busyness and the busy schedules and the city life and the kids and, and the pressures at work, all of that busy, busyness can rob us from the time that's needed to grow intimate with Jesus. Amen. Intimacy takes time. To get to know God, it takes time. And it takes blocking out time for him and him alone, undivided time with him. So there's times like this where we block it out so we can spend time with God together corporately. But then there's something else that you should have. Actually, it's very foundational. And that is you have that time alone with God. Because when Jacob was alone, the angel wrestled with him, God wrestled with him, and changed him and transformed him and gave him a new name. And that's when he became Israel. Israel. From Yaakov to Yisrael, from someone who grasps the heel to someone who wrestles with God and has power with God. Busyness is one of the number one killers of intimacy. I was talking with this, talking about this with one of the people here, no mention of names. But already the Lord began to speak in our little conversation before service. We need to slow down and stop. You'll need to give God your time. It's a giving. You give God your time. And to grow in relationship with Jesus, it takes undivided time. Time that's not divided between a whole bunch of things. Time that's not multitasking time. You know, multitasking time. And it's good to have those prayer times where you're in the car and, and 
you're, you're driving, and of course you got a little bit, you got the windows up, and you can pray to God. <laughs> but it's a little bit like you're multitasking, right? Because you're driving, but driving doesn't take too much thought. So it's, I don't want to uh, frown on it too much there. But there's times where you need no multitasking. So we should, have, we should be praying all the time when we're walking, when we're working, when you're, there's always this conversation in your heart going with God. Pray at all times. I talked about that. Pray without ceasing earlier this year. I think it was earlier this year. Time's been going by so quick. <laughs> but what I'm advocating for here is that undistracted, undivided, wholehearted attention. This is why Jesus taught us that when we pray, shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. So instead of being all caught up in all the secrets that are going in the world, spend time with your Father. Have that secret time with Him. Shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. He's, he's telling us to, to shut the world down. And for us, it means we've got to get away from the phones. Because like, like the phone is a doorway into your prayer time to interrupt it. And the internet is like that, or a computer is like a doorway in. So you actually got to shut those things down or put them away. And it's hard if you're, it's hard if you're um, using your Bible on your phone. But maybe you can put it on airplane mode and download the Bible or something like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to give you legalistic things to do. I'm trying to give you some tips and guidance. Uh, so what I'm saying right here, just find out what works for you. But what Jesus is saying is shut the door. And the idea is you're shutting the door to the world and the influence of the influences of the world so that you can spend time alone with him. If you're spending quality time with your father in the secret place, you won't be worried about the secret plots of men. And this is how Jesus lived his life. He knew about all the conspiracies and the plots that were going on around him, but he spent time with his father. And taking time means training yourself. It means love-motivated discipline. Love-motivated discipline. Love-motivated discipline. So the next thing, and I'm going to give you four, these four simple steps on developing intimacy. Well, the first one is take time. And the next one is invest in intimacy. Invest in intimacy. So this brings us to 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Go to 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And here Paul is defending his apostleship, which means he's defending that he was sent by God. Interestingly, one of the greatest preachers uh, in all the world and in all of history was fought against. They didn't believe him. They started to say, well, he's not as, as good as the other apostles. And yet his words endure, and many of the others that they were esteeming have not... Uh, hand down have not endured and so they were constantly fighting against Paul and what's why were they constantly fighting against Paul why was the early church constantly fighting against Paul 
It is because their ways were very much like the world's ways. And they had a certain uh, stereotype in their mind of what a leader should be and how a leader should speak. And Paul was like Jesus. And here's the thing. They were fighting against Paul, but really what they were fighting against is Jesus Christ. They didn't like God. They didn't like his ways. But in order to not, because nobody's going to say, I don't like Jesus. I mean, Christians, we're followers of Jesus. But we're not going to say, I don't like Jesus. What we do is we project it on someone else. Because we're fighting against God, just like Israel in the wilderness. Who did they blame their troubles on? They blamed it on Moses. And if we really want to get intimate with God, we need to take responsibility for our own spirituality. We cannot blame pastors and leaders for our own selves. And this is what they, they were constantly fighting against Paul. This is the early church there, and, and he's defending his ministry here. So I'm giving you the context here. Uh, first, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So what the Apostle Paul was after was the purity of Christ's bride. But something was coming in, and verse 3 says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Do you see that? He's bringing us right back into the garden when you had the two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life. And where is the serpent? He's not around the tree of life saying, hey, eat life. No, where is he? He's around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Take it. And that's the very tree that God says, if you eat of it, you shall die. Now, it's not wrong to know things. It's important to, to know things. But once you start to eat of it, and it starts to affect you, and it starts to get into you. Like, I know some of Freud's theories, you know, Freud. But I'm not going to bring it up in a counseling session. <laughs> I know a fair bit about intelligence organizations and things like that. But I'm not going to bring it up in, in preaching the word. Because I'm not going to mix that up with, with the word of God. Once you start eating it. Once you start consuming it, once it starts to get inside of you, that's when there's death and confusion. And when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when they started a different route of knowledge, rather than intimacy with God, their own knowledge in disobedience to God, when they started down that route, well, they fled, they hid themselves behind the bushes, uh, they... Uh, were, they saw themselves as naked. They were afraid of God. So then another fear comes in. Not the healthy fear of God, but the unhealthy fear of God, where they run from God, all because they were eating from the tree that they shouldn't be eating from. And what Paul is saying here is the serpent 
still today wants to draw you away from that simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. You see, because eating from the tree of life is intimacy. It's communion with Christ. It's that devotion to Him. It's simple. It's pure. Once you start eating from the other tree, what happens is things get very complicated and confusing, and the body of Christ starts fighting one another. And the reason why there is this kind of civil war going on, just like there was a civil war going on in Isaiah chapter 8, with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, there's a civil war going on in the body of Christ today. And it's all because of, I know this and I know that, and you should know this and you should know that. And we need to get back to the tree of life, intimacy with Jesus, knowing him, loving him. You don't need to know about every single thing that's happening in the world, but you need to know him. And the knowledge of him is that intimate knowledge. I'll read this again, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So in this second point about time is invest in intimacy. And notice what Paul goes on to say, for if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached or you received a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. In other words, there's a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel that is coming your way, but you just take it, say it's okay. And he goes on to say, for I, am considered, for I considered myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. But even if I am unskilled in speech, yet I am not so in knowledge. In fact, every way we have made this evident to you in all things. So again, there's two types of knowledge. There's the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And that's a knowledge of disobedience and a knowledge that comes out of maybe even legalism. It's a knowledge that is it comes from disobedience to God. But then there's another knowledge, and that comes from knowing Jesus. It comes from intimacy. And invest in that intimacy of spending time with Jesus to know him, to know his heart. And then, again, you will see the, the real Jesus. Now, how do we know the real Jesus? He's the Jesus of the Scripture. He's the Jesus of the Gospels. We like to have a, a, a nice Jesus. He never corrects us. The pastor always says the message we want him to say. But I'm not going to be tickling ears. <laughs> Jesus, the real Jesus of the Gospels. And then there's a different spirit. We, a lot of people don't even realize the spirit thereof. And Jesus had to rebuke. John and his brother because they wanted to call down fire on heaven because someone disagreed with them or, or someone didn't, uh, they weren't a part of them. So should we call down fire in heaven, from heaven and destroy them and consume them? And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Leave them alone. Let's go on being about our father's business. 
If they're not against us, they're for us. And so in this time, we have to watch out that we don't fall into that trap of another spirit. And then we have another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. Let us not mix in all the stuff that's out there. And I'm talking about all that stuff on the Internet. To some good, some bad, whatever. But let's not mix that in with the gospel. We need to get back to the gospel, which brings true life and freedom. It's the good news. And if you haven't been on the Internet much, maybe you realize, what, what is Glenn all on about? Well, if you see what's going on out there and all of the, the words, and we even have to be Christians in dialoguing on social media. Did you know that? <laughs> even in dialoguing on social media, we need to be Christians because there's young people even will, will commit suicide over Comments on social media. So it's not nothing. It's something. And we need to be godly and Christian on our social media accounts. So we talked about take time. Invest in intimacy. And then the next thing is make music. The next little step of, and I like how Donna said, make music in your heart. Next step to intimacy is make music. And I have here... Uh, Psalm 27, 6, this is, I'll read to you a few of these. And I'll talk to you why music is so important with regards to intimacy. But remember, the Psalms is all about intimacy. David had a heart after God's own heart. Singing played a big part of this. Music played a big part of this. Psalm 27, 6 then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Amen. Let's say, say that. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And there's a number of different verses like that, like Psalm 33.2 and Psalm 57.5. The Psalms continually exhort us to make music to God. Music, if done rightly, cultivates intimacy with God. Now, why does it do that? Now, you may not be the best musician, but what you can do is you can play music and kind of sing along to it as much as you are able to. Everybody can sing in some way, even if it's in your heart like Donna was saying. <laughs> yeah, from Ephesians Here's the thing about music. Music transcends words and helps your soul communicate to God. So it transcends words. It may involve words, but it transcends words. The music, the melody, it goes past the, the reason and the logic and helps your heart connect with God. It helps your soul communicate with God. Music allows... God also to communicate with you, superseding your own reasoning and logic. And that's why here we had this time and Missy was leading it. I found it a very intimate time with the Lord. But I don't know where you're at. All I know is I try to actually not look around and see who's not paying attention. Because then I get distracted. 
and then I'm in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, who's doing good and who's doing evil, or who's doing good and who's doing bad. You can translate it like that. The tov and the ra, the good and the bad. Who's doing good, who's doing bad, and now my eyes are off spending time with Jesus. So I don't sit here because I'm the pastor of the church. I sit in the front so I'm not distracted. <laughs> and, I wanna, and sometimes I close my eyes. But watch out when you close your eyes to pray and sing because we were at the stoplight last week and we were praying. And Anna was really getting into prayer. And she closed her eyes and she was praying. And all the cars had moved on because there's a green light. But she had her eyes closed. I said, Anna, Anna. <laughs> Everyone's moved on. <laughs> then, I, then we kind of joke. You know the Bible doesn't say you have to close your eyes when you pray. It says watch and pray. You, but you can close your eyes because it takes away distraction. But try not to close your eyes while you're driving unless, you can re, unless you're really in the spirit. We, you know, see, how, see how in the spirit you are if you can drive with your eyes closed and make sure you don't hit any cars. I'm joking. It's humorous. Don't take, don't, please don't take that. Please don't take that on board. <laughs> See, our reasoning and logic can be faulty, and that's why music just gets past that. And God is the creator of music, and I've been blessed that Anna bought me a gift. It's this little, uh, it's this little ball thing. It's called a, uh, I'm not advertising here. I'm just, I'm just enjoying this thing. It's called the Apple HomePod Mini. And it sits on your desk, and I can say, hey, Siri, Play Don Potter. I like Don Potter, his, his worship. And I said, play Don Potter. And so here it is. I've got the music playing and worship playing while I'm having my devotions. I won't always have music on all the time. But, or I could say, hey, Siri, play Lyndall Cooley or play C.C. Winings. And the, the place is filled with worship. And the technology today is so advanced, and I've been finding that music is helping me to grow in intimacy with God. Well, the last thing is this here. We talked about take time, invest in intimacy, make music, and then the last thing is express your emotions. Express your emotions. Look at Psalm 42, verse 4. These things I remember, and I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Notice how he talks about, I pour out my soul within me. Before that, it says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. This is that longing, that thirst of intimacy with God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, my life began to transform as I started to seek God's face. And it wasn't merely about knowledge. It was I wanted to know him. I started to pursue him in a deep way. 
the psalmist goes on to say, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And we see that in verse 5, he says, why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? He's real, he's raw, he's honest about his emotions. And the whole book of Psalms is like this. It's an example of the psalmist pouring out, or the psalmists pouring out their heart and soul and emotions to God. The whole book of Psalms is an example of pouring out our heart. You're pouring out your heart to God. You pouring out yourself to God gives God space to pour back into you. So this is the whole purpose of it. You're pouring yourself out, but it's giving God the space to pour into you. So you don't want to get stuck in just sharing your emotions. You pour out your heart, but then you're waiting in expectancy for God to pour into you, for God to speak to you, for him to refresh you. And so David and the psalmist grew in intimacy with God in this way. There was music, there was song, there was words, there was honesty, there was relationship. Which brings us, into, brings us to the last point, which we're not going to spend long here, but it's a bit of a sum up of what we've been sharing. Cultivate, cultivate communion with Jesus instead of being caught up with conspiracies. I don't hear so, much, so many amens. But cultivate communion with Jesus instead of being caught up with conspiracies. Communion with Jesus is the way to transformation. And being transformed is how the harvest of lost souls will come into the kingdom. As we are personally transformed, it advances the gospel. Because the gospel can only advance through us. And what God is saying in this day and hour is it's not the pastors and the evangelists and the prophets that are really going to advance the kingdom. It's going to be everyday people who receive the ministry of these men and women of God, but they are equipped to do the work of the ministry. The father wants his family at peace so that he can bring new people into his family. So as a, as a body, he wants us as, at peace. He wants his family at peace so that he can bring new people into his family. He doesn't want to bring a harvest into a family feud. <laughs> Are you with me here? He doesn't want to bring his family. Into, he doesn't want to bring his, the people, sorry. He doesn't want to bring the people he's saving into a family feud. He wants to bring them into a place of peace and unity. Again, the good news is all of us, every one of us can be intimate with Jesus. It's not for the expert. It's for every one of us. Let's all stand. We're going to we're going to pray.
So concluding things, the fear of the Lord will displace all fears. The fear of the Lord is also the gateway into intimacy with God. And when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we mean that reverence, that awe, that wonder. Well, that wonder, awe, and reverence as I stated it in Bible school. And it's through intimacy, communion with Jesus, that common union, that you are transformed. That's where the metamorphosis happens. So, Father, here we are. We want to be people of the tree of life. We want to thank you that your cross and that your resurrection is a tree of life for us. That you took that tree upon yourself, you hung upon it to turn every curse into a blessing. You hung upon that tree so that we could have intimacy with you. There's a lot of things coming to try to distract us from that tree, from that intimacy. I'm praying that as a congregation, we would love the tree of life. We would camp under that tree, that we would dwell under that tree, that we would camp under our, that tree, that we would take our guitar or keyboard or little music box and sit under there and worship you and eat the fruit from that tree and be filled with your life. Because that life, Lord, from that tree is what will produce life. It will multiply. It will grow. And Father, I want to pray for all those who are weary and worn from the battles of this world that we would come back to that tree of life. We'd set up our little picnic there. <laughs> we would, yeah, we'd bring people into that tree, under that tree. We'd find shade under that tree. We would love your presence. We'd be lovers of your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. I'm going to invite up. Let's keep standing. I'm going to invite up um, Missy, if it's okay. And if, Missy, if you can play lightly. And I just want to use this time to draw near to God and to also pray. Uh, if, if you want uh, prayer to grow closer to God, of course, it takes, it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. But if this really is the longing of your heart, I'm just going to have the, the altar area open. And when I start praying for people, I'm going to say goodbye to those who are online just so that it can be a bit more intimate.